0: The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647-US12-WEST in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. Well, good morning. Do you have this on? They working? Good morning. Good to be here. I'm Dave Hills. I'm the executive director of Michigan Biblical Counseling Center. For 25 years, I served as a pastor at First Baptist Church of Elkhart, as the adult discipleship pastor, and as uh, the children's pastor during that 25 years I was there. And then about seven years ago, God planted a burden on my heart to start a ministry of counseling that would reach the Mishiana community. And so for seven years, we've been located at Osceola Grace uh, Church. They provide rooms for us, office space for us to work out of, and they also provide uh, counseling rooms for us to counsel from. During the course of any given year, we might counsel 2,200 counseling cases uh, during that time, 2,200 sessions. God is bringing people to us, and the fact of the matter is that God's word works. And God's Word has solutions for all of life's problems, and it's my privilege to be a part of that ministry, and I'm very thankful for community and the way they've partnered with us. We look forward to working alongside you for a long time to come. Literature is out on a table out there that if you're interested in receiving counseling or if you know someone who would benefit from counseling, we have literature out there. We also have business cards for myself and our counseling director, Deanna Doctor, for you to pick those. Up. It's good to see some old friends here too. Some people that I co- uh, coached in cross country, some people that went to First Baptist Church with me years ago, and people I've known for years. Good to have you all. Uh, uh, good to see you all again. Well, today the subject um, that I'm going to be speaking on is grief. It's not a really easy subject, it's not a light subject, it's not a feel good subject. But the topic that I've been asked to speak on is grieving, and I'm, I've entitled my message, Grieve with Hope. Grieve with Hope. And I want to just give you a heads up. It's a topical sermon, and because it's a topical sermon, I'm going to be going all over the Bible. Because of that, I've given you notes and the notes will provide the information you need. I won't have you hopping all over different passages. Just wanted to warn you of that. Well, as we start out, I want to just tell a story of a couple that went through a very tragic situation. On May twenty-first, two 2008, the singer Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife Mary Beth, their world was turned upside down. The Chapman's adopted five-year-old daughter, Maria Sue, was accidentally hit by their 17-year-old son, Will, when she ran into the path of his Toyota Land Cruiser as he slowly drove up the driveway to their home. The entire family witnessed that tragic accident. After Maria Sue was transported to Vanderbilt University Medical Center, Stephen and his wife, Mary Beth, got in their car to head up to the hospital to be with their daughter. But before leaving, God graciously gave uh, Stephen the presence of mind to roll down his window and look directly at his inconsolable 17-year-old son and say, Will Franklin, your father loves you. He knew his son needed that at that time. Well, shortly after arriving at the hospital, they were informed that Marie Sue had died as a result of her injuries. Well, over a decade before that tragic day, Stephen had written a song called With Hope. With Hope was written for some close friends of theirs who had lost a child, and he dedicated it to them. Then in 1999, he released that same song and dedicated it to the families of those who lost loved ones in the school shooting at Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky, where Stephen Curtis Chapman graduated. Now in their dark time, the song that Stephen wrote to comfort others was used to comfort his own family as they grieved the loss of Maria Sue. And the song is based on the comforting words of 1 Thessalonians 4.13, which you'll find in your notes. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. In that one small verse, we learn some very important things about Grieving. Grieving is a part of living in this broken world. And the expectation that's stated in this verse is that we will grieve when we face loss. But in the lives of believers, our grieving is different. It can be different. Why? Because as we grieve, we have all of God's precious promises to bring comfort And to guide us. Because of these promises, we can grieve with hope. And I've put the lyrics of the song With Hope on the back of the handout I gave to you. But I want to just read verse 1 and the chorus because it combines the idea of grieving and hope. This is not at all how we thought it was supposed to be. We had so many plans for you. We had so many dreams, but now you've gone away and left us with the memories of your smile. And nothing we can say and nothing we can do can take away the pain, the pain of losing you. That's grief. That's real. That's the world in which we live. But then the chorus says, But we can cry with hope. We can say goodbye with hope because we know our goodbye is not the end. And we can grieve with hope, because we believe with hope there's a place where we'll see your face again. We'll see your face again. The sad reality is that we live in a broken world. The perfect world that God created, the perfect world in in which he placed Adam and Eve, is now seriously broken. And in this broken world, we will experience pain and suffering. And we will grieve. But in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our grief, we find the precious promises and hope in the pre- precious promises of God's word. And one of those promises was spoken by Jesus to his followers in John sixteen thirty three. He says these beautiful words. I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Here's Jesus' message to us in that simple verse. In this world you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. But in the midst of your troubles, I promise you my presence... I promise you my peace and I promise you my power. Having Jesus' peace, presence, and power in the midst of our struggles makes all the difference in the world. So, we're talking about grief. What is grief? In a word, grief is pain. Grief is pain. It's pain that's experienced over the loss of something that we value, something that we treasure, something that we care deeply about. In Matthew 6.21, we read these words, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When we treasure something, our heart becomes attached to the thing that we treasure. We pour time, we pour energy, we pour energy, Passion, we pour emotion into the things we treasure. And when the things we treasure are lost or taken away, we feel pain, sometimes intense pain. And the grief of pain is felt in many ways, grief is felt physically. You probably remember times in your own life when grief became so intense that you felt it in your body. You had a pit in your stomach. You ached. You could hardly go on. Grief is also felt emotionally. The pressure from the emotional turmoil of grief can make a person feel like they're about to burst or it can make them feel like they want to just curl up into a ball and cry. Grief is also felt spiritually. We agonize trying to make sense of what we're experiencing and why God allowed it to happen in the first place. And sometimes God is silent on the why of our suffering. Sometimes, most of the times, in fact, he doesn't give us all the answers. <clears throat> well, intense grief is found In the story of Hannah that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah was one of two wives of Elkanah. And right there you understand why there's a problem. She was one of two wives of Elkanah. Problem. But she was grieved over the fact that she was unable to have children while Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, had several children. And Hannah grieved. She grieved because she had a natural desire, a natural strong desire to become a mom, but she was barren. She had longed to be a mother, but God had not allowed. He had closed her womb. She grieved because children at that time were the equivalent of social security. No children meant that there would be no one to take care of you when you got old. She also grieved because in that time and culture, Barrenness was considered the deepest humiliation for a woman to endure. The inability to bear children was seen as a lack of God's blessing, or even worse, it was seen as God's punishment for sin. That's why Rachel, in Genesis chapter 30, when she finally had a child, when she bore a son, she said, God has removed my reproach. It was deeply humiliating to not be able to have children at that time. To make it even worse, she grieved because Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, tormented her. It wasn't enough for Peninnah to have all the children. She mocked Hannah's inability to have children. It says in the scripture, Peninnah used to provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And 1 Samuel 1 says this went on for years and years and years. Hannah was grieved. How did she respond to all this? Her grief was intense. It impacted her physically. It impacted her emotionally. It impacted her spiritually. Let me share just a few snapshots from 1 Samuel 1 of how Hannah responded to the fact that all this was taking place. Hannah wept. And could not eat. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. As Hannah prayed at the temple, she was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved, but no one heard a sound. And Eli, the priest, was observing this and he accused Hannah of being drunk. And this is how she responded. No more, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my heart before my God. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and great vexation. Her inability to have a child was hitting her deeply, and she grieved, and it was made worse because her rival continually mocked her about her pain. So grief is pain. What else can we know about grief? Well, grief can come much like pop-up storms in southern Michigan and northern Indiana. When we least expect it, it's on us. Loss can come in a moment. The trajectory of a life can be changed with just one phone call. Painful reminders of past losses and pain can also pop up out of the blue. That happened to me just a few weeks ago as I was cleaning out a closet and I ran across something in that closet that reminded me of an incredibly painful memory from about 13 years ago. And for just a moment, it was as if I had been transported to that time 13 years ago. I experienced the same emotions, the same heartache, the same pain as I looked at that thing that brought back the memory. Grief is also a very personal experience. There's no cookie-cutter approach to grief. We all respond differently to the painful circumstances in our lives our own personal experience will be impacted by, first of all, our values, passions, and dreams. We grieve deeply over the things we care about deeply, but we don't care about the same things as each other, do we? As a little child, I was a Minnesota Vikings fan. And we went to four Super Bowls, and we lost four Super Bowls. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, As a little child... That ruined one or two days after each loss. Why? Because I had attached myself to the success of the Minnesota Vikings. I have a co-worker at Michiana Biblical Counseling Center who loves snow. And if there's a snowless winter, that co-worker of mine grieves. For me, I do a happy dance. I don't care. I don't mind snow, but I don't need snow. But That co-worker of mine, it's a devastating loss if there's a snowless winter. Our spiritual maturity um, and biblical knowledge also impacts how we respond to grief. See, it's hard to grieve with hope if we don't know the truths that bring us hope. Our knowledge of God and his word give us the tools we need so that we can grieve with hope. Our past experiences with grief also impact the way we respond to our difficulties in life. Responding well to pain and loss is something that has to be learned. It requires practice. Every loss that you and I experience provides an opportunity for us to learn to deal with grief biblically. Learning to deal with the small grief experiences can prepare us to deal with more difficult challenges that are bound to come in the future. Now, just for parents in this room, I want you to understand, as a parent, your inclination will be, I want to protect little Johnny and Susie from absolutely any pain they might experience. But I just want you to know that God's agenda for us sometimes is to go through that pain and to learn to respond to it in a way that works so that we're prepared for the difficulties that will inevitably come in our lives. Finally, grieving is not an event, it's a process. Grieving involves peaks and valleys. I counsel with many people who are grieving, and they might be way up here doing just great, and all of a sudden something happens and they crash. Grieving involves peaks and valleys, where you can be on the top of the world and then in the depths within an instant because of something that comes to mind, a memory. You look at a calendar, and you're reminded of something. Grieving also doesn't follow a schedule or a timetable. Grieving isn't something where you can say, okay, um, I'm grieving now on May 15th. I'm no longer going to grieve. It's going to be over then. No, grieving is a process that takes time, and there is no set timetable. Grieving can't be tracked or monitored according to prescribed chronological stages either. We all have a very personal experience with grief. What do we grieve over? <clears throat> I mentioned things like Minnesota Vikings losing. That's kind of small uh, fries compared to the real things of life. We grieve over broken relationships. I'm sure there's some here who are in that spot right now. Wayward children, a job loss, financial struggles, Abuse of many kinds. Health issues, our own issues and the issues of others. Death. And the struggles with sin. I meet with many people who are just struggling with a sin and it grieves them because they haven't gained victory over that sin. We all grieve. The list could go on and on, but the bottom line is this. We grieve when we lose what we value or what we treasure. We grieve when we lose what we value or treasure. So, where do we find hope in our grief? Where do we find hope in our grief? We're going to look at seven places where we can find hope in our grief. First of all, we find hope in our loving God. Psalm 145, 13, what a great verse. It says this, The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. In what ways does God display his love for us? Well, the obvious one is this, he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Romans 8, 32 say this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? The implication of that is if you question God's love, just look at the cross. If he was going to withhold good from you, don't you think he would have started there? But no, he gave his most valuable possession, his son, so that we could be his once again. Other ways that God shows his love for us, he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Psalm 23 says that he's our good shepherd. Our good shepherd who protects us, feeds us, cares for us, leads us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says that God is the God of all comforts who comforts us. Why? so that we can comfort others with the comfort we have received from him. He's also a God who provides for our needs, Philippians 4.19. And he's a God who works all things for our good. Romans 8.28 teaches us that God works all things together for our good. But then verse 29 is important. You can't miss 29 because the good, the primary good that he's talking about, the good I want to bring in your life, is I want to make you like my son. And as you go through difficulties and respond to them well, you're going to become more like my son. And that's my agenda for your life. My ultimate agenda is I want you to look like Jesus. We also find hope in prayer. There's an invitation in Psalm 62, 8 that I absolutely love. Trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Why should we pour out our hearts to our God? Well, because he asks us to. He asks us to pray. Philippians 4, 5, and 6 says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, rejoice always, pray continually, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We also pour our hearts out to God because he hears us. Psalm 50, Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. 1 Peter 3.12 is almost identical in wording or in concept. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That for those who follow Jesus Christ for the righteous, they have God's eyes and they have God's ears. He's attentive to us, watching us. We also pour our hearts to God because he understands. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews 4 15 through 16, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands our grief. He's lived on this earth, he's walked the path of this earth. He's been rejected, he's been despised, he's been misunderstood, he's been mistreated, he's been spoken of poorly. We have a high priest who who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then comes the invitation. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Finally, we pour our hearts to God Because he's powerful. And that brings us to our next point. We find hope in our powerful God. We're called to trust our God, pour our hearts out to God, and place our hope in God. But that is made so much easier when we understand just how powerful and mighty our God is. And here are some truths about our powerful, mighty God. Our God is sovereign. What does that mean? That means he's in control of everything, and that includes your life and the events that intersect with your life. Nothing happens, and nothing is allowed to touch us without his permission. Now, it's true, sometimes those things he permits to touch us are painful and hurtful, but our loving God has permitted it for a reason. Our God is also omniscient. That means he knows everything. Not like your family member or friend who knows everything. No, this is a God who truly does know everything. That should bring great peace and hope because when we don't understand, he does. When we can't see the good that could come out of our circumstances, he does. Because he's omniscient, nothing surprises our God. God is also omnipotent. Ephesians three twenty and 21, I absolutely love the words of these verses because it, words are piled upon each other. It says, He's able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. I don't know about you, but I've got a pretty fertile imagination. I can imagine a lot of things. And God says, that's all? That's all you got on your mind? That's all you can think of? That's all you can come up with? God is able to do abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine. Because of God's great power, He's able to do whatever he chooses, whenever he chooses, in any way that he chooses. There's nothing our God can't do. I told you I was children's pastor years ago at First Baptist Church, and there was a song that we sang to our two- and three-year-old kids, My God is So Big. I don't know if you know that song. Even had motions. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his. The valleys are his. This is the good part. The stars are his handiwork too. Woo! My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. I love that song. It's just so simple. It's just a kid's song. But there's nothing impossible for our God. That's the power that's at work within us who know Jesus Christ. Because of his great promise, he's also because of his great power, he's also able to keep all of his promises. And because of his great power, he's able to give us whatever we need to face what he's called us to face. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of him. In your notes, I've just put a reflection question that I'd like you to think of in the coming days. It's this. Does what you know to be true of your God shape how you view your circumstances? Or does what you know to be true of your circumstances shape your view of your God? Your answer to that question will determine greatly how you respond in times of grief. Do you view your circumstances based on what you know to be true of your God? I hope you do. We also find hope in the loving care of God's people. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God never expects us to do this thing called life alone. And especially when it comes to grieving. He gave us the body of Christ to help each other. In our grief, God desires for us to intentionally choose to seek and accept the help of God's people. That's humbling. I, for one, would much rather be on the giving side than the receiving side. I don't like being the burden bearer that people help. But think about this. When we are burdened, we provide others with the opportunity to obey the command to bear one another's burdens. Without a burdened person, you can't obey that command. As they obey the command, they receive the blessing that comes with obedience and we receive the blessing of the ministry of them in our lives. Well, point number five, we find hope in God's ongoing purpose for us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has an agenda for each and every one of us, and God says, that plan, that agenda doesn't stop at the time of your pain and loss. Now, in our grief, in our grief, we might not be able to see God's purpose. In great detail, but we can understand this God's big picture purpose for us is to love God and love others. And even in our grief, it's important to take our eyes off of ourselves at times and just look to others and say, How can I minister to others in my time of grief? We also find hope in our glorious future. In Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, it said, This is not the end. 2 Corinthians 4:16 through 18 emphasizes that point. <clears throat> Therefore, we do not lose sight. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. These verses tell us that our trials, as difficult as they are, are light and momentary compared to what lies ahead, which is eternity with Jesus Christ. For all who are in Christ Jesus, heaven awaits us, a place where there will be no suffering, no more pain, no more reasons to grieve. Hallelujah. Finally, we find hope in God's blessings. In life's hard moments, as you're grieving, as you're struggling, as you're going through painful times, God's at work in us and around us. And in the darkness of our grief, it's really important to actively look for evidences of God's blessing, evidences that God is at work on our behalf. It might be love and support from his people. It might be financial provision, caring acts of God's people, wise advice from godly advisors that prevented you from making a horrible decision. God's powerful presence Comfort from God's word. Peace in the storm. As we see God's blessings as we're going through our times of grief, it's important to express that thankfulness to God for what he's done. Again, 1 Peter 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Well, as I was preparing to speak to you, my mind several times went to a painful circumstance in the life of my wife and myself. And it started in the summer of 1986. I was about to begin my second year as a student at Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana, And one evening, we got a call from my mom, Ruth Hills, and she was calling with some difficult news. My mom had breast cancer, and it was going to require surgery. That hit me hard. I was the baby of the family, and I don't think there's any denying I was mom's favorite. And we were close. I would call mommy. I was a 27-year-old boy, but I would call Mommy on Saturday just to talk to her, and finding that my mom had cancer hit me hard. As time went on, we learned that her cancer had metastasized to other parts of her body. The doctors gave grim long-term prognosis, and the short-term prognosis wasn't a whole lot better. Mom began her battle with cancer, and our entire family joined her in the fight. Less than a year after learning that my mom had cancer, we got a call from Sue's mom, Janice, that went something like this. I'm so sorry to tell you this with all that you've already been going through with Dave's mom, but you need to know that I just found out that I have breast cancer as well. Surgery was scheduled. Over time, it was discovered that her cancer had also metastasized. Now both of our moms were fighting for their lives. And we were struggling. From 1986 to 1989, we made countless trips. To Moline, Illinois, to visit Sue's mom. To Cedar Falls, Iowa, to visit my mom. Most of the time, those visits were in hospital rooms. Over those years, we grieved. We learned valuable lessons from God. We loved our mothers well, I think we did. And we were ministered to by the body of Christ. And we leaned on the truths from God's Word that I've talked about today. On Thursday, April 6, 1989, my mother-in-law Janice breathed her last breath and went home to be with her Lord. Fifty-four days later, my mother Ruth, on Tuesday, May 30, 1989, drew her last breath and went home to be with the Lord. Her passing, in fact, was just 17 days after she'd made a trip to see me graduate from Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake. Those days were extremely hard for us. And we grieved. I'm not denying it. We cried. Sometimes it was ugly crying. It was hard. But we didn't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieved knowing that someday we would be reunited, not just with Janice and with Ruth, but with all the other people we love who went before us. There are times... Over 32 years later, that we still find ourselves grieving, but we grieve with hope. I share these things to tell you that the principles and truths that I've shared with you today are principles and truths that my wife and I learned as we walked through the valley. There are also principles and truth that we continue to practice as we go through the difficulties of life, whether huge or small. In conclusion, I just want to say, I don't know the difficulties that you're facing. There are probably some here today who have suffered in silence for a long time, not sharing their struggles with anyone, but just going through it alone. Some are here today who have suffered in a very public way, and everybody knows. Whatever your circumstances and whatever pain that you're going through, I can say with all assurance that your God loves you and wants you to take your pain to him. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. God wants us to lean on him and trust in his promises. God wants us to allow his people, the church, to help us with our burdens. God wants us to know that he loves us deeply, so deeply that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die a painful death for us. In closing, the takeaway I want to just leave you with is twofold. The first is this. Grieve. You have permission to grieve. Your pain is real. Acknowledge it, express it, pour out your heart to God, share it with people who love you. But as you grieve, grieve with hope. Hope in the God who is faithful to all of his promises and loving toward all he has made. One final thought as I close. It's this. Don't allow grief to be your destination. Allow grief to be the vehicle that drives you to God. Let me say that one more time. Don't allow your grief to be your destination. Allow grief to be the vehicle that drives you to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are faithful to your promises and loving toward all that you have made. Lord, if there's someone hurting today, I just pray that you will wrap your arms around them and that they will feel the presence of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the power of Jesus working in their lives. Thank you for the privilege of being with these good people, and I pray that as they go from here that they will be strengthened by your mighty power. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info@edwardsburgchurch, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.